Sounds like the beginning of a game show, doesn't it? It's good to see all of you. Thanks for being here today. You know, um, in our first service, we had the joy of baptizing six individuals, uh, a couple of adults and students. Yeah. So we're excited about that opportunity, and it's always a highlight here at Sibylla Creek to watch people making that public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as you could tell, um, we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, here at Sibylla Creek, we do a Q&A Sunday once or twice each year, and today happens to be the day for that. And let me just explain that for those of you for whom this may be new. You know, every church has a set of values, things that they think are important. And the best churches lean into those values by uh, providing different opportunities for people to sort of practice what is really, really important. Um, for instance, here at Sybil Creek, we place a high value on serving because we think that that's one of the best reflections of what Jesus looks like. Jesus invited us to be servants to one another. And so we place a lot of emphasis on serving and we, we provide our church family plenty of opportunities to do that both in our church family and around our community. And uh, so uh, Serving Sunday's coming up here at the end of April. And that's, that's one of the other ways that we demonstrate this value is we take a Sunday and instead of gathering here for worship, we go out into our community and we serve a variety of different organizations and people because that's an important value in the life of our church. And taking a Sunday to do that as a tired church family, we think that's a really, really important um, exercise in our, our spiritual growth. Another one of the values here at Sibylla Creek is the permission to seek, to, to ask questions and be curious and, and discover and learn more about your faith. And we recognize that people come to Sibylla Creek, they're at all different places in their spiritual journey and whether they're brand new to all of this and don't even yet really know what to decide about Jesus. We, we love that they're that, that individuals here and, and we love for them to ask their questions and, and have their, their discussions that they want to pursue that are unique to where they are as well as someone who's been following Christ for years. And so because we think that seeking and asking questions and being curious about faith is, is such an important value, then we try to encourage that in the life of our church family in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that we do that is this thing that we offer from time to time called Q&A Sunday, where we are literally going to take your questions from the audience and um, I'm going to field those questions to the best of our ability real time here and um, you should understand, uh, you can reach out at, at that number, that uh, website, and then that number will get you, and you can uh, get you to where you need to go, and you can submit your question, and uh, we'll tackle the question the best that we can. Now, let me just clarify, this is not Stump the Pastor Sunday, and that's not the intention here. The intention is to field questions that might be of interest to everybody in the room when it comes to like our journey of faith and what it is to live as a Christ follower in our contemporary society and maybe a theological question. Maybe it's a question about your Bible. Um, those are the questions that we're looking to field. And uh, as you submit those questions, they show up here on this laptop. And then uh, my host, uh, Paul Yoder, will field some of the questions. We won't be able to get to all of them, of course, but we're looking for some ways that we might be able to provide some responses to the questions that we don't get to. Um, we had some great questions in the first service, and, and here's what I'll just tell you. If I don't know the answer to the question, 
I'm just going to tell you I don't know. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I have an answer for everything. I'm not the answer man. I'm just going to give you the best take that I can on each question. And if I don't know an answer, I'll just tell you that. Now, what I may do in that particular instance is I may do some thinking out loud. And I may talk to you a little bit about how my brain might process that question and what are some of the principles, some of the Bible verses that might inform my response. But I'm not going to stand here and pretend like I have it all figured out. Make sense? So how about a warm Civil Creek welcome from my host, Paul Yoder. Now, I, I introduced you in the last service, but this is a whole new set of people, so I got to introduce you again. You brought your Bible this time. You mean business. You I brought my that. Bible last time. You did? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm <laughs> pretty sure. Okay. I just don't remember sitting <laughs> I never leave home without... <laughs> Uh, Paul Yoder is one of my favorite people. Paul's awesome. He is a teacher at Bernie High School. You teach what grades? Uh, mostly sophomores and juniors. 35 years total, 19 in Bernie. You, you're an awesome teacher. Paul's very, very highly respected teacher. Uh, students love, love him. Parents love him. He makes his students work. He keeps them honest and... Uh, I, I love that about him. Uh, you're an English literature teacher, correct? Yeah, mostly pre-AP and AP, yeah. Okay. And then Paul, like, he's just a renaissance man. You're also involved with the theater group at school, correct? Yeah, yeah. Assistant director, drive the bus. You drive the bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, so you drive the bus too. Yeah. And then uh, you're involved in the Bernie community theater productions. Just correct? talented enough to pretend that I'm decent. <laughs> Yeah. Now we've seen one of your couple of your performances. You yeah. do you do an outstanding Thank job, you. and then you also you referee high school football. Yeah, I love that's my latest passion. That's your latest passion. Yeah, I love it. You spend a lot of time doing that. You have to travel quite a bit. Like, oh yeah, yeah. We go all the way to Laredo and Llano and over to you know East Texas, almost to Houston sometimes. Right, so all over the place. You can't see the end of the earth. But you can see it from there, right? Kind of place. Exactly. I, I think I butchered that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's promising when you're getting ready to ask me questions, right? Um, and then, then recently, you've added something to your resume. You're now like a linesman or uh, something for the um, for the Brahmas. Yeah, they need uh, high school and college officials to run the chains for the okay. XFL programs down at the Alamo Dome. Heard you went to a game last week. We did go to a game last it week. It was awful, wasn't it? <laughs> No comment. No comment. We were, we like were one and four. We were doing our local thing and getting behind the local team, and we had it. We had it fun. I had, uh, you know, I had some uh, nachos and um, chips, and so that's. I don't care where I am. That's just a good day. That's good. Yeah. So you got some questions for me? Yeah, we didn't get to this one, and some people came up to me after first service and said, "Please make sure that this is broached <laughs> in the second one." So. Oh, I just... had some people come up to me after the first service and ask if we coordinated our shoes. But I don't, I don't remember getting that phone call or anything. No, they're not. Goes. What are yours? yours are I don't know. I, they're cheap. That's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're, we're coordinated. All okay. right. So you got some questions let's for just, us. Let's, let's just go. dive into it. the word haymaker. From the yes, you said let's you're going to give me a haymaker. So how do you respond to Christians who support or partake in alternative lifestyles who say the Bible is grounded in love, but that God will not turn away from them because they're good people with good intentions? Let's just go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Um, there's, there's so many different ways to respond to this and so many different dynamics to this whole discussion. So I'm just trying to get my thoughts here. Um, 
let's, let's begin this way. Let's begin with the foundation, all right? The cement foundation upon which you're going to build the discussion. You with me? Okay, so cement foundation. This is inflexible. This is truth, abiding truth of all time. God loves everybody. That was, that was one, one amen. <laughs> okay, can we, can we begin there? That the discussion is going to be built on this, this understanding. God loves everybody. Amen. Thank you. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done or what they're doing. God's heart goes out to them. But now we have to define love. Because we're living in an era, largely where love is perceived as, then I can do as I please, I can do anything I want, and if you love me, you'll celebrate that and you'll, you'll support that. If you love me, you would, you would allow me to do whatever makes me happy. That's how it's often described. Okay, well, that's society's definition of love. That's not God's definition of love. God's definition of love is that I want the very best for you. That God moves us, not moves toward us, not only in love, but in compassion. He says, I want the very best for you. I, I love you, but my love is defined by wanting what's best for you. And you can take this up with God, but God's basically saying, my way, my design, my will is what's best for you. So anything outside of my design, anything outside of my will for you is not what's best for you. And therefore I, in my love, God says in my love, I'm going to call you to what my design looks like. I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to invite you for your, for your sake. I'm going to invite you to change your mind if necessary. If what you're choosing to do or have adopted as a way of life is inconsistent with or contrary to my design. Because ultimately, it's not what's best for you. Did you follow that? Now... Again, that's not a very popular perspective today when it comes to love, but I want you to think about that. Let's say that you have a four-year-old. You're outside your house, you're walking around, and the four-year-old sees a stick laying on the sidewalk. And it's a magic stick, because it's wiggling around. Look at that stick, Mommy, it's moving. I want to go play with the magic stick, the moving stick. Isn't that cool? But you as the parent, the mom or dad, you know that's not a magic stick. That's a snake that happens to be a rattlesnake. So in your love, what's best for your child is not to say, yeah, honey, go be happy. Do what you want. Why? Because to do that places them in grave danger. 
So a loving parent steps in the way and says, I'm sorry, you're not going to get to do what you want or what you think would make you happy. Out of my love for you, I'm going to decide what's best, and I'm going to not allow you to do that. Does that make sense? So much of what we see in the scriptures by God saying, I'd, I'd ask you not to live this way, is because God in his design knows that that way of life is not what's best for us. You with me so far? Again, lots, lots of tentacles to this. And I, you know, I'm already feeling like, um, I'm in landmines here. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Um, so every Tuesday I, uh, record a podcast and with my friend, uh, Wyatt Marchant. And this past week that we were recording, we got talking a little bit about some of what we're seeing in society by way of lifestyles and choices. And, and, um, and I was telling Wyatt that sometimes the issue isn't even so much about right or wrong or good or bad. Sometimes the issue is about danger. That sometimes a Christian has to take a position and maybe speak towards something as an act of love and compassion to warn somebody of the danger that they're in. Because here's the, here's the danger, ultimately. Typically, we don't see the danger because what, we, what we're choosing to do is pleasurable. What we're choosing to do is popular. What we're choosing to do is our choice my freedom, me getting to do what I want to do. Um, sometimes the choice is that God, God has spoken and he declared some things to be outside of his design for which there are eternal consequences. And here's what I've learned. There's never been a point in history where God said something that he was mistaken or that he was short-sighted about. It's not like 20 centuries ago, God, God said, well, I'm against this and I will not stand for this. And this is a contrary to my design. And then all these passing of years have happened and God's like, oh, you know what? That was a long time ago. Things have changed. I've changed. I, I, was, I was young and feisty then. I'm, I'm much older now. And and I, the progress has happened. So I, I think I'm, I take a different view on it. Sorry. Bible tells us God is unchanging the same today, yesterday, forever. And when he has declared truth, that truth is eternal and abiding in nature. And so God will say, I declared this to be contrary to my design for how human beings will best thrive and know what it is that I have to offer them by way of joy and peace and love and hope and a host of other things. That I'm, I'm not agreeable to that. That is, I have no permission for that. And therefore, the consequences for that sort of behavior have eternal dimensions to it. And so God, so God's saying, Please step back from the stick. Please don't go there because it's dangerous to you. Not only physically, emotionally, relationally, it's, it's spiritually dangerous to you. And then 
guys and gals like me, you know, the preacher, we're in this unenviable position of having to speak the truth of God, but we are speaking to a, an audience that represents so many different perspectives and ideas and, and values. And, and sometimes what we say in our best attempt to reflect what God has said, then we come across as heartless or unsympathetic or, or, you know, ancient. And we just, we're not always received in what we have to say, but we're just trying our best not to be mean or insensitive to anybody, but to speak the truth on behalf of what we understand God to have said to say, oh, that's dangerous. It, it doesn't matter how popular it is. It doesn't matter how, um, it doesn't matter if it's necessarily the viewpoint or position of the majority. If it's contrary to God's design, it's dangerous to our soul. And we are accountable to that. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Indeed. Okay. So, um, yeah, we're living, we're living in really dicey days. I don't know if you've noticed. Okay, a lot coming at us. A lot of different perspectives and opinions, a lot of beliefs that are contrary to those fundamental and foundational beliefs of what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and here we are trying, we're trying to live in balance. And here's the balance. How is Jesus described? Jesus is described as full of grace and truth. Meaning he was all grace, he was all truth, perfectly combined. He wasn't like, oh, I'll be more gracious here and I'll shy away from the truth here. Or, oh, I'm going to be really truthful here, but I'll shy away from grace. No, see, he was the perfect balance of that. Now, we're not him. And so we, we often wrestle with trying to get the balance right. But that's our calling. And so, yes, we can be gracious in our love and acceptance and understanding of a person who's chosen something that's different than what we believe to be true as defined by the scriptures. Um, we can be gracious to them, but we cannot lie to them. And so we're looking at certain dimensions of what's happening in our society these days. And we're being asked to accept lies as the truth. And we as Christians have a responsibility, again, sensitive, compassionate, and caring. But we can't play along with what is in fact a lie. Because then we're, we're basically enabling the lie to prevail. Does that make sense? So, again... When it gets down into the brass tacks of, well, that, you're talking about my son or my daughter. You're talking about my mom. You're talking about my, my favorite uncle. You're talking about my best friend. Uh, yeah, that's, the, that's the, the landmines that we walk through. And I think what the calling of Christ is, is yes, like God, we love. We love the value of this human being. But in our understanding of truth, we see whatever, you know, sins, deception, or brokenness has happened in their life to choose something outside of God's design. And we, we, have, to, 
We have to step into that or step toward that in thoughtful, considerate, careful ways. We're not trying to blow anybody up. We're, we're not trying to be mean. If you're trying that, then you're, you're not reflecting Jesus. But we also have to, we have to be representatives of truth and talk into those situations honestly, not demanding that somebody necessarily accept your position. But you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. And then really at the end of the day, this adult person makes their choice. And their choice may be really different from the one that you might want for them or that you think is best for them. And, and at that point, you just, you got to let an adult make their choice. And we all, we all assume the risk of the beliefs that we adopt. Does that make sense? I, I, let's let's go on another so question. There's, there's always symbolism in everything, right? Is there? So by, that was probably a 20-minute response, right? Was it's, that 20 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's pretty long, but I think it's pretty <laughs> indicative of you know what we're thinking of as parishioners when we come to church every week. We, you could speak to this every week because I think we get so uncalibrated during the course of the week. It's nice to kind of have someone that has a grip on things that kind of. Oh, you're it's... assuming I have a grip on things. <laughs> Generally speaking. Yeah, see, it's interesting. That's, that's sort of my heart as a pastor and has been is, is this congregation that God affords me to shepherd. You guys are in the trenches every day, every week. You're in the trenches at work. You're in the trenches with your school system. You're in trenches with, you know, the political landscape of our nation and, and legislation that's happening. And you're in, you're in the, the trenches of friendships with people who believe and think very differently than you do. And, and yeah, we are literally getting inundated across all sorts of avenues every day, every week. And so, yeah, it's hard, it's tough to be a Christ follower and know how to navigate this world in which we live and maintain that balance of grace and truth and not, you know, not be a jerk and yet not also kind of give in and just follow a, a you know, a, a very deceived or, or a mistaken pursuit of life. And that's hard. That's really hard. And boy, there's nothing that I want for you more than to come here as a one place. I hope there's other places. I hope a life group or some other circle of people. But come here on a Sunday and worship. Kind of reorient your soul. Um, pray. Uh, listen to the truth of God's word, whether it's me teaching or somebody else teaching. It all comes back to God's word. And like you said, calibrating our soul to say, how am I doing? What am I doing? Is it consistent with this? I, I was sharing in the first service related to a particular question that we have is Romans chapter one. There's a line in Romans chapter one that is just in the center of my mind these days. I'm, I'm actually thinking about, you know, do I teach on this? Do I write on this topic? And, and here's Paul's you know, appraisal of what was happening in his culture. He said, they exchanged the truth for a lie. 
And we are living in those days. Our society is asking us to take what is in fact a lie and adopt it as truth. And it's the majority held opinion. And it's very popular opinion. And so let's, let's accept this as true and right. And that's you every day trying to navigate that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that you find a place of refuge here at Cibolo Creek where we can be honest and open to talk about those things and maybe kind of find our footing again to go back out and be Christ followers in the world that, that we're invited to serve. Make sense? All right, what other question? Barely got the uh, skin off of that onion, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, a lot to go with that. Um, okay, so speaking about being Christian and one of the things we're called to is to evangelize or to get other folks to join Team Jesus, right? So this is that, you know, sometimes is that mysticism or that voodoo that you do as part of Christianity. So this is a great question that's come up a lot. How can I discern between my own thoughts and the Holy Spirit talking to me? And how maybe can I explain that to non-believers? Oh, that's a great question. So, yeah, there's this very unique dynamic. The person who's placed their faith in Christ as Savior they now, they now see themselves as a Christ follower. Meaning I, I begin to order my life around this decision to recognize Christ as Lord or Savior of my life. And part of an understanding of that relationship I have with Christ is that the Holy Spirit of God comes and he dwells in me. He dwells in you. Dwells in all those who've placed their faith in Christ. So now we have the person of God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is described as working in our life is that he can speak to us. He can guide us. He can direct us. Probably not like words like you and I hear. It's the soul understanding the impressions that the Spirit of God is, is making on our hearts and our lives. That, that right there is a subject in and of itself. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. So, so I'd say, yes, there's this very unique relational dynamic of me coming to understand or recognize what does the Spirit's voice sound like in my life? And you know what? I'm pretty comfortable recognizing that what it sounds like in my life may be different than how it sounds in Al's life. Because my experiences and my... my um, understandings are different than his so the spirit speaks to him in a way that Al will recognize and understand I, I understand and recognize it in a different way okay second part of the question how do I describe this to somebody who doesn't believe it can I be real I'll just be honest with you ready ready don't in most casual conversations, don't go there. It's just so odd and so, you know, there's so much behind it that unless the situation affords a really honest, thorough discussion about it, you'll just, you'll just, they'll just think you're weird. And in here, okay, we'll just be honest, brutally honest. They're, they're going to sit on the other side of the lunch table, and you're talking about hearing the voice of the Spirit, and they're going, oh, so they hear voices. Crazy people hear voices. Why? Because they don't have a context for it. So I'm not saying don't ever talk about it. I'm just saying you've got to have the time and the place 
to recognize that this would be a mutually beneficial discussion for the two of us to have. And I have found, again, just my experience, I have found that that mutually beneficial experience is really driven by them asking. If you're just sitting over there trying to tell them something that they're not interested in, it's, it's just not going to be received well. And it's just not going to be understood. And so I'd say, just you don't need to go there. Does that make sense? Now, there's other, there's other important truths about our faith that can be explained to somebody without having to go, oh, the Spirit of God speaks to me. It's just sort of like an advanced topic. I'm not saying that it's like an advanced intelligence. I'm just saying the complexities of it are so much greater that there's probably more important priorities to discuss with somebody who's resistant to faith than this whole idea. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of working on putting this together because we clearly have this thing about... Um, Man, I, look at that, Paul. We got like 18 minutes. Don't get cocky on me. <laughs> Come on, because we're due for another 15-minute answer like this when you're ready. <laughs> I think we feel pretty confident about how, as adults, we're moving forward. We lived in a different era, a different age. But I can tell you as a high school teacher, these kids today are in enormous pressure. Oh, yeah. And as parents, this is where my parenting motif is coming from. There's three or four questions, so I'm going to try to put them concisely. Okay. As Christian parents, how do we deal with the barrage of things that are coming that are non-Christian? I had a question about uh, schools becoming uh, more secular and not focused or allowing Christian discussion. Uh, kids playing games or engaging in things like TikTok and other social media that aren't necessarily Christian um, as our kids get older, how do we kind of be their coaches on maybe considering staying in the faith versus them wandering? Because, you know, the statistics are terrible about when they go off to college between 18 and 24. How can we as parents, how can we, how can we navigate all of that in doing it the right way, but at the same time not running our kids off from us? Yeah, great question. Um. The first, first thing, I'm kind of listening to my heart each time I answer. Like, there's so many different ways I could respond. I'm trying to pay attention here. First thing is, you must be engaged. You, as mother and father, I don't even care if you're, you know, living in separate homes because of divorce. You're a mother and you're a father to a child or children, it is your responsibility given to you by God to be engaged intentionally in raising your children. Taking some sort of hands-off, passive, oh, they'll be fine, kids will be kids, without getting involved, you are missing the mark. What you're Kids are longing for, even though they may not say it this way, particularly like after age 12. What your kids are longing for is you to be involved, to be engaged, to be aware, to know what's going on in their world, in their friendship circle, in their school. You have to be engaged. Don't take your hands off of this one. And I, I, here's the truth. So many parents 
take their hands off of the parenting responsibility. Why? Because they're so busy with their career pursuit. And here's the really disturbing thing about you, you could get fired or lose your job on Tuesday and they will have replaced you by Thursday. But nobody else can be your child's mother or father. That's a lifelong commitment. And those first 18 to 22 years are absolutely critical and vital to the people that they will become. So the first thing I'm going to say to you in this tumultuous landscape that kids are growing up in is you have to be engaged. You have to know how TikTok works and what's going on there. You, you have to know what Reddit is. You have to know and watch, understand what Instagram is about, Snapchat, all of these social media enterprises. They have enormous influence on your kids' lives. They are oftentimes setting the values and the priorities that your children will chase after for the rest of their life. And for you to say, ah, I, I don't get that social media stuff. I don't, I'm, I don't even know how to use my cell phone. Well, learn. Because they need you engaged. And sometimes, sometimes you're going to be the heavy. You're going to be the bad guy. You're so mean. Probably not, probably enough of you have heard this. Why do you hate me so much? You don't let me do anything. Okay. That, that's just manipulation. That's, that's a 13 year old form of manipulation. Is if I say that you hate me because of what you're doing. They're just trying to control the situation. You just need to be bigger and smarter than them. And say, I don't hate you. There's nothing about this. In fact, I love you. And I don't want to see you get wrapped up into something. Man. Okay, I'm on social media. So I'm not, I'm not preaching against it. You have to be careful how it's used. And there's a difference. <laughs> there should be a difference between the maturity of an adult using it. And the, the immaturity of a 10-year-old using it. They just don't have the capacity yet to make all the wisest choices and decisions. And I'm telling you, these devices, they have enormous control. In fact, and this is where my 21-year-old son says, boomer. You know, he says, I'm, I'm here. I, I really, it, the nature of most cell devices, digital devices, it is inherently addictive. And here's how I define addictive. It becomes compulsory. I don't have anything to do with my time. I look at this. I'm feeling kind of mad or sad or, you know, frustrated. I can get lost in here. That's in nature an addiction is the compulsive way to cope with what I don't like right now is I go to this thing and suddenly I'm in places so far beyond my reality that I'm, I'm high. Did you hear that? That's the nature of how that works. And I know that sounds so preacher like and that sounds like such an old fogey like but it's the research that I've done that led me to believe that at one time, 
I was dangerously close to being addicted to this thing. Okay, so I, I guess the, the short answer is be engaged. Your kids need you to be engaged. And whether they recognize it or not, it is the highest form of love that you'll give them is to be truly and genuinely interested in what's going on in their life and in their mind and in their heart. And so then the flip side of that would be engaged in providing some direction, some mentoring, some um, setting the example. So many things happening in here right now. Um, you want your child to go to church, cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ? The, the most powerful way to do that is you set that example. You embody that. You show them the joy of that. You show them the, the hope of that. You show them the impact of that. Because if all they pick up from you about church and God and Jesus is, oh, good Lord, we got to go to church. But I'm, and then they're going, I don't have to. And basically what happens is if that's the example, the pattern they've seen for the first 18 years of their life. Then they go off to college and they go, I don't have to do that anymore because that was miserable. We fought the whole way to the car. Every, every Sunday we fought in the car all, the whole way to church. That was, the, that was the, formidable, uh, the formative impression that you created for them. Does that make sense? And I, <laughs> I know some of you are like, oh, great. My kids are 24. <laughs> and I didn't do it that way. It's never too late to have an impact in your kid's life. It's never too late to show them a new example. It's never too late to speak new words into their life. It's never too late to make the initiative to be involved in their world to the best of your ability with what they'll let you, but it's never too late. And through prayer and the work of God's spirit in your life, it's possible to get reengaged. And... Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot shaped in my life in the first 22 years, but I like to think I'm 60 now. I've made some changes along the way. I'm not the same person I was when I was 22. Thank Lord, right? So it's possible that maybe some of what you failed to do as a parent in those formative years of your kid's life, it's, it doesn't mean it's over and done. It means... Now you have a new opportunity. And through prayer and through compassionate expressions of love for them, you, you can still have an influence in their life. And you, you can still maybe fix some of what maybe was broken. Does that make sense? But, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm a parent to two boys, 27 and 22. So I get it. I do. I get it. I get it. There's probably no higher calling other than following Jesus than to be, a, to be a partner, spouse, and to be a parent. I mean, it's, it's at the top of the list of what God's called you to be. You, you can travel the world and save a million people, but if you can't be Christ to your kids, then 
I have an issue with that. Starts at home. Make sense? How are we doing? Pretty good. Six minutes. Yeah. It's interesting you get that, that comment that I joked about being a recovering Lutheran in the first service, but now that I, I listen to your answer, and I'm so glad that my parents were tenacious oh, yeah. about taking me to church, about making me learn the catechism and confirmation, because it gave me such an informed understanding of what it meant to be a Christian as I got to be an adult. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up, you know, would, uh, seriously Baptist. <laughs> um, and, and there was a lot about the context of that setting that was incredibly legalistic and life-stealing. But I look back and I go, man, I'm so grateful for, one, the community that was a part of as our you know, Baptist um, brothers and sisters. I, I had some men and women in my life who were enormously influential in who I would become. And I grew up with a very, you know, rich theological tradition that a lot of that was imprinted in my life from the earliest days. And to this day, I, I draw on both. I draw on that community that had been around me. And I draw on that theological tradition that, that I was introduced to. And I draw on it all the time. I'm, I'm, you know, certainly when I was some, when I was in my teens, there was a part of it that I, rep, I resented and hated. But... You know, that's being 15. Not, not really understanding the whole implications of what's happening in your life at the time. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an option here at the end. Oh, an option. Mm -hmm. Multiple choice. Multiple guess, perhaps, for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that's funny, I, 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 it's for my kids. If Adam and Eve were the first living creatures on earth, how do you explain dinosaurs? But underneath that's a deeper question about faith versus science, and that's a that's another one you can get to. Uh, the other opportunity I think I like. Yeah, about what's this B? Is, huh? What's the B choice? I thought you'd go for B, <laughs> but it's not any easier. It's just okay. Okay. Uh, I think one of these things that, that you and a lot, you and I are both social introverts, very comfortable in a bigger room, but small, in, intimate relationships are very important to us. Right. So sometimes it's kind of fun to hear and learn about you. Uh, what is God challenging you with personally right now? Let's end on that one so they can kind of get a look underneath the skin. Uh, underneath the skin. Um, what is God challenging me? A um, couple things. The first one that I'm, you know, it's like you always understand it, but now it's just, it's taking on a new vividness. And that is, how extraordinary God is. And this may not make any sense to you. It makes sense to me. I keep, this phrase has been running on repeat in my heart for like two years now. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which is a pattern you see all through the Old Testament. That's one of the ways that God's referred to is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's about this God's abiding faithfulness and that it all comes back to him. And so, you know, I'm 60. I've been in ministry now for 35 years. Taught these themes for that long. But now it's, I don't know, it's just taking on a, a new vividness for me. To what it's created in me is a sense of expectation like, 
I wonder, wonder what's left. I wonder what's next. I wonder, I wonder what's m- more for me to discover about to be in service of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a roots kind of thing. Does that make sense? Um, you, you, you may find this humorous, but still struggling with my preaching. Like how to do it better, more effectively. And is there room for change and improvement to where um, it's not just words, but it's message, like something God's speaking through me to people's hearts. And the third one is, and this one's the last five years, is, and all I know it is, is courage and confidence. Courage and confidence. Paul, live your faith. Live what you, live what you say. Be courageous and be confident to speak forth the truth of God's word in the landscape of a society that would tell you not to. And at times it puts me in a pickle. I, I feel like God's calling me to speak the truth in love, but don't be so concerned about coming across as loving that you skirt the truth. And it's not about, you know, kind of this acidic or toxic boldness. I hate that kind of stuff. It's really about taking the words of Jesus and he said, the truth will set you free. And so it's about me determining to be truthful in what I have to offer people in the hopes that God will use it to set them free. I want us, I want us to live in the freedom that is Christ. And freedom that is Christ doesn't mean I get to do as I as I please. No, the freedom is to live within the confines of God's design for our life because there's the greatest joy. But I have to be courageous enough to call people to repentance. I have to be courageous enough to declare the truth of God um, boldly, not with toxicity, but boldly not to be intimidated by the crowd or the naysayers or the critics or the fact that some people will leave the church and take their money with them. I, I, can't, I can't be intimidated by that. I have to speak the truth as I best understand it and trust that God will honor his word, if not here, at least on the other side. Does that make sense? So that's, those are kind of three things that I'm, I'm in these days. And uh, I'll just tell you, it's a joy to be your pastor. And thanks for giving me the room to still wonder if I know how to preach. (laughs) And still trying to figure stuff out and doing my very best to humbly serve um, a staff and a congregation. You guys make it such a joy. And so, um, thanks. And thanks for giving us days like this where we don't have to do a sermon. We can just answer questions and kind of scratch where the itch is and and um 
So, thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate you facilitating, and thank you guys. So, let me ask you to stand together. Let's pray. God, thank you for days like this. Just a change, just something different, something out of the ordinary that just allows the journey of our faith to be kept fresh and to see and hear things maybe from a different perspective than if it was just a sermon. So God, just thank you for a congregation that's curious, that's inquisitive, that's interested in learning more and I just pray that we'll continue to be the kind of place where it's, it's, it's completely normal to have questions and to wrestle with doubts and to, to not be convinced about everything. It's just normal to be the human being who doesn't have it all figured out and yet we can ask questions and they're received. God, thank you for the six people that we baptized this morning. And I just ask for your richest blessing on them and their journey of following Christ now as somebody who's declared publicly their decision of faith in you. God, thanks for our church. Thanks for the season that we're approaching of Easter. I just pray that we'll have this remarkable sense of your presence through it all. We pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.